Hey, everyone. Welcome to Neighbor Science, the only podcast about political economy and sports. I am your forward expert sports guy, uh, Ryan. <laughs> and uh, I have a real sports expert on uh, for today's episode, Abdul. Hello, hello, hello. How are you doing? I'm happy. Of all the podcasts I've guested on, there's a lot of fun podcasts to guest on. This is probably my favorite. Oh, hell yeah, man. Thanks. <clears throat> Um, like as, as for how I'm doing, uh, I wanted to save this for the recording, but, uh, yesterday I was on a, like a video call with my cousin and I went out to smoke a cigarette and then, um, my girlfriend came out with me and I was just like messing around with my, my plants that are on the deck. And, uh, I have a little trellis in one of the containers and I just pushed it back to where it's supposed to be. And I... Uh, in that process disturbed a yellow jacket nest and got oh, stung fuck. like seven times <laughs> and they followed us in the house <laughs> oh no it was uh extreme panic hours diane like tossed the the laptop down and the the webcam came out <laughs> which was fortunate because i had to take my pants off to <laughs> get all the <laughs> all the yellow jackets off of me <laughs> so I'm, I'm very sore shit. right now <laughs> They got, they got I, me I'm happy two times allergic. on my left hand. Is it all puffed up and shit? No, it, it just hurts. It just feels like a burn, you know? Go to the pharmacist and get some pseudo... Like, I don't know what happened, but when I moved to Edmonton, I got uh, bit by a mosquito. Uh -huh. It just made my hand swell up to twice its size. Like, I looked like the fucking marshmallow man. Uh, like, the Stay Puffed man. Um, Damn. And uh, antihistamine didn't work for, like, quelling it, but... Um, Sudafed. Sudafed is amazing. Sudafed, like, fixed it in a day. Um, so if you have, like, extreme irritation, that might be something worth looking into. Neighbor Science, sponsored by Sudafed. Yeah, please. <laughs> I mean, it is it is a miracle of modern science. I mean, there is there is precedent here. I'm a, I'm a Benadryl man, personally. Yeah, I don't know. The U.S. loves its Benadryl. Uh, I don't get it. We uh we we will sometimes give it to the dog to get him to calm down during a thunderstorm <laughs> <laughs> or on Fourth of July. <laughs> I I should do that with the cats. Actually, I think they could probably <laughs> use some, not not to calm them down, but just as like a day to day thing. Uh huh. <laughs> um, because they're fucking hyperactive and won't stop shitting. But yeah, um, yeah. I thought my drain fly problems today were bad like i thought my uh slight drain fly infestation was terrible but uh, yellow jacket net seems nest seems like infinitely worse yeah the worst thing is uh that's not the only one that's on the deck i also like went to check how much uh propane was left in in the grill and there is another wasp nest on the propane tank <laughs> which is gonna make it Fuck. very fun to fucking exchange that thing <laughs> Yeah, that sucks. I just one second. I just want to make sure I'm I'm recording out of the right uh, mic because sure. my level is set to zero, and for oh. some reason it's still coming through. Uh, testing one, two, three, four. Yeah, I'm I'm recording out of the right mic. Yeah, my bad. Sorry. Um, anyway, that's that's my B news. Um, so uh, today we are going to talk about the political economy of sports. Um, I thought of this when. Abdul wrote uh, a really good article on the multi-sport strike, wildcat strike that happened. 
Um, do you want to talk about that article for a bit? Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's it's funny because it's been like so long since that happened at this uh-huh. point. Like it feels <laughs> like years ago. But um, you know, like uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, yeah, in the wake of the Jacob Blake shootings, the NBA who are playing in a bubble and were already uncomfortable with the idea of like being sent to a bubble for four months to play basketball away from their families in the midst of the George Floyd protests. So what is this bubble given- thing? I I keep hearing about it, but I don't actually know what it is. <clears throat> Okay, I'll actually I'll I'll roll it back even. Um, okay. I'll roll back even further. Uh yeah, so the NBA was put on pause when it was found that one of the players from the Utah Jazz had COVID-19. Okay. Um and it was put on pause for 3 months, but because the NBA was set to lose like a, a legitimately unprecedented amount of money on the season, they came up with a system called the bubble. And the bubble is in Orlando, Florida, Disney World, where all the games are played on two courts. The players cannot leave. They have to self-isolate for 14 days and be COVID tested every 48 hours. Um, and in that time, they, they have no real contact with the outside world other than like social media and cell phones. But it's not like they can leave and come back. If they do, they have to quarantine for 14 days. And there's like fines incurred. Um, and basically, players were uncomfortable with going to the bubble, uh, you know, A, in the midst of a pandemic, but especially in the midst of the George Floyd protests. The NBA is obviously a, a mostly black league. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the union pushed back on it. The the uh, governors, who are the owners, but uh, in the name of social justice and liberalism, they call them the governors now, not the owners. Um, the board <laughs> <Great>. of governors... <laughs> Yeah, it was actually a, thing, a choice that was made. Like, we're no longer going to call the, the people who own the sports teams the owners. It's the Board of Governors now, right? Fortunately, there's no history of racism with governors, you know? Yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> um, yeah, in, in, in honor of the Jamestown colony. <laughs> <laughs> we are, we are uh, changing but- the name to the, uh, the Plantation Board. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. That's uh, basically what it was, and Ugh. and what it is. That's the nature of sports, right? It's like the um, they they gave them some concessions, which included like you know spots for racial justice. They'll put Black Lives Matter on the court, and uh, you're allowed to pick from one of twenty social justice related messages pre-selected by the board of governors to put on your jersey, right? Wow. Um, People like players were unhappy about it, but you know the union caved, um, and you know there was also a thing about like, well, there's no penalty incurred for just choosing not to play, but like, you know, again, it's it's a social pressure unit, right? Like, if mm-hmm. if 14 of your teammates are going to play, are you really going to be the odd man out? Very few people True. exercise that because it's like, yeah, you know, you just don't want to be that guy. Um, Do they have a like, no strike clause? in their contract they do all major sports have a no strike clause in their contract okay um so you know bubble starts and actually is going pretty well and people seem like unhappy but a little you know but like you know able to bear out the you know weak social justice compromise then jacob blake happens there's a realization oh this isn't enough right Mm mm-hmm um, and, uh, you know, the Raptors, my beloved Raptors, who got, who lost the series to the Celtics yesterday. Oh. Um, it fucking sucked. I, I was, I, I'm not, I'm a lot not of teams ashamed to, lose to, to Yeah. Well, it's the Boston Celtics. The, uh, we can get into, we can get into the history of the fucking, of the Boston yeah. Celtics and their, their fucking insane, uh, racism. Um, they're good fundamentals. Uh, 
Yes. Uh, well, like, this is the thing about the Celtics, and I can talk about this later, is they're both the most and least progressive team in the league, uh, uh-huh. historically. And there's, like, a really interesting thing around that. But, yeah, like, the Raptors and the Celtics decided, uh, I, like, talked about, you know, striking uh, at least one game, right? Okay. Um, uh, and this was a big conversation. But then the Milwaukee Bucks, you know, Wisconsin, which is, you know, Jacob Blake, Kenosha, just didn't show up. They just didn't show up to a game. They went on a wildcat all by themselves. And the rest of the league immediately followed, which then spread to baseball and then spread to Major League Soccer. And eventually the NHL cave to under... Uh, ownership permission in the NHL, actually. So, wow. you know, fuck that. But, like, yeah, the NHL is, is you know, the most white league in the in major yeah. sports, right? Like, that's... Yeah. Um, and it's it's one of the most expensive sports to excel at, to, like, train in. So, you know, there's... Oh, really? A, um, yeah, because, like, oh, you, you're from, you're from, like, the U.S. You, you do not know this, where it's, like, hockey camps cost thousands like a pair of goalie pads can like good goalie pads can be two to three thousand dollars right holy like shit ki- parents yeah par- like i have a co-worker who's um whose kid is like probably gonna go pro as a goalie right uh-huh. like we're talking scholarship potential in the u.s like like is got accepted to like these camps where like pro goalies uh take you and, and teach you a couple of things and you know, just to get accepted to the camp is one thing, but then you have to pay $12,000 to go there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, hockey is... And you have to wake up at, like, 4 a.m. to take your kids to hockey practice, and it's not like it's a school thing for the most part either, right? It usually happens separate from a high school system because right. most schools in Canada can't sustain, like, a, a hockey team like that, right? Um, you don't have so, ice yeah, rinks in all your yeah. schools in Canada? No, <laughs> I, I, fuck, that would be awesome. Actually, it would. <laughs> like, I think when I was in school, we paid like four hundred bucks and got like six lessons on ice. Right, that was like our version of like gym skating. Okay. Um, um yeah. I was gonna say uh, that it's weird that it's so expensive. Um, I mean, I guess it's not weird. It's just like a artifact of whatever is behind it but but uh i was i was gonna say i i can get into this more later but i was looking at a list of like the highest paid athletes there are zero nhl uh players that make the top 100 highest paid athletes so they aren't it's their their income is not commensurate with the spending i guess um if i recall correctly nhl uh contracts tend to be much longer like there's way okay. more of a uh, there's way more of a guarantee um that you're going to play right um gotcha like which is the i guess the difference here uh yeah um what's the average career length i wonder it's also much longer like you can play hockey you can play hockey into your into your late 30s uh, at a high level this says the average is five years which the nba is like two to three right it's uh four and a half that's amazing actually yeah, yeah like i'm looking at i'm looking at the nhl the nhl does eight ten or 13 year contracts oh wow um in the nba the longest contract i believe is four years with an rfa at the end what's an four rfa to five. a restricted free agency so that means that um you can you can um 
uh, get an offer from another team, but the, oh. the team you're on, the team you're currently on, has the ability to match it, and you'll have to go with it. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I mean, like hockey is is easily uh, the most expensive sport to get into. It wasn't always like that, right? Like I have, I know people from Montreal who are in their like thirties, not thirties, in their like forties and fifties who like remember getting a busted pair of skates and like a you know a twenty dollar stick from you know the. Uh, just your like your local shop and just playing like shimmy on the ice right uh-huh. but at this point like you know you have carbon fiber sticks that you need to replace every three games because they're so light and springy but so fragile you've got the pads you've got the the nice skates the lessons the cost of doing leagues your parents need to be able to make that commitment right driving all over you know the region basically taking you to tournaments and games and shit like that and practices like Hockey is a extremely tough sport. I think I I'm not the most versed on hockey CBA. Like I know the NBA CBA pretty well, uh, and the NFL CBA pretty okay. Um, but uh, I am also pretty sure that hockey players get a not too bad pension. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, pensions in professional sports are are something else. I'm just looking up the NHL pension right now. Yeah, fifty thousand dollars a year uh, after playing one hundred and sixty games, which you know that's that's basically it's like a couple of years, right? That's basically two seasons and change, right? Nice. Um, and hockey also doesn't have as much of an adverse effect on your body, so you can go longer. Okay. Um, and uh, when you look at sorry, the other thing when you look at average length, uh, it's also important to consider the fact that most players in any league will just wash out. <laughs> um, I see. So what you're what you're looking at is like your middle tier players and how long they last, not point of entry to point of uh, exit, because uh-huh. it'll always be weighted for shorter periods. Because like you'll draft three players and one of those might be a good role player, and if you're lucky, you'll get a superstar out of it, right? Um, yeah, like that's that's the way like you know it works sort of with hockey uh, in terms of like longevity, pension, like the economics of it really do balance out um relative to pay interesting Uh, but but yeah like like basketball you know with all of this they they went on strike and basically the the superstar of the league lebron james uh you know fucking owner (laughs) owner magnet lebron james um got pissed that they went on strike without consulting him he was the face of the league (laughs) and obviously he cares about racial justice too it's not worth denigrating uh lebron right uh-huh. Um, but like, it's still like he is the face of the league. He holds all the power. The NBA is currently in its player empowerment era, right? Um, which means that players have have a majority of of you know um, control over the league uh, in terms of like their bargaining uh, space and individual. Like, I can go to whatever team I want, really, and ask for a trade and get that trade. Um, which they fought for, uh, but yeah, he he consulted President Obama after storming out of the union meeting, um, and Obama said, oh, "You know, I think I think you should play." Um, uh, and uh, you know, eventually, like he's like, "You should work it out without going on strike," is what Obama said. Like you should you should have things out in a meaningful discussion. Then the NBA went back to work, but they got some more concessions out of it. You know. Um, it it sounds awful on paper, but also I think you also have to consider the level of political education um, most of these guys are at. Right, they're like twenty year old. Most of them are like twenty to twenty five year olds. They're 
you know, they understand injustice, but like you can't expect <laughs> NBA players to read theory. You know what I mean? True. Like it's yeah. So you know, it was a commitment to turn all of the all of the um, arenas into voting booths. It was a commitment to have a, a a fund and like an organization, like a coalition of players, uh, and for racial justice that would be you know supported by the league in terms of its decisions that they come to. Uh, more space for racial justice involved stuff and a commitment to racial justice uh, initiatives and like uh, stuff like black owned businesses right mm-hmm. um, something worth considering is that LeBron is 34 35 years old he is not going to be around much longer right these younger players who are coming into the league at a time of like extreme upheaval and, and global anxiety are way more hardcore than <laughs> LeBron <Nice>. is right <laughs> And like you know, it's it's worth not considering. The players did get rolled on this. I don't think it's it's deniable, but it's also not the end of anything, right? It's an expression of power, and like a strong beginning to what I think will be a tumultuous couple of years, especially since the league is, the union is, uh, begins bargaining. I think at the end of this season uh, or early next year, because there's a mutual opt out clause um, for the CBA uh, the year after. Um, and it's almost certain that they're going to take it if the salary cap shrinks, which uh, it's 100%, like almost 100% likely to because of the money losses incurred by COVID. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's basically the background to what this was. And, you know, it's a really great present example of a wildcat strike. Um, it's the beginning of, I think, something great in professional sports and like. I I'm like if you want the full background, like read my article. But uh, you know, I think uh, yeah, I'll link it in the show description. Oh, awesome! Yeah, I think for what we're doing here, it's important to like contextualize it against the greater power of sports, right? Because Mm -hmm. like most leftists I know are not sports people. Like they're sports ball. They're sport. They're ironic sports ball people. Um, Which I've I've turned away from from that kind of thing. Um, I still don't really watch sports. Like I don't. I don't choose to watch sports, but I do yeah. like uh, if basketball is on the TV, I'll watch it. It's fun. Yeah. And like people don't even have to be fans of sports, but I think like my as, as a fucking, you know, super involved sports fan for at least, you know, two sports. I'm trying to get really deep into football now. Go Dolphins. But like, <laughs> um, yeah, like I think that it's important to. <sighs> Yeah, this is it. Like, I think leftists tend to dismiss sports. Not even... I'm not saying you have to follow it, but it it has a potential to be a really key part of informing a conversation around, uh, you know, uh, worker power, racial justice, uh, economics, the economics of capitalism, um, sort of, you know, what, what it means to be a worker and the nature of, like, worker management relationships, right? On top of being, like entertainment on top of being obviously uh, a really great game that that demonstrates the pinnacle of human athletic achievement um sports is is a space where so much of our understanding of the world changes through right Mm -hmm. and i think that that's really worth considering like muhammad ali is a great example of this right uh true monumental figure right like absolutely immortal figure in terms of his like achievements his resistance to the settler state and his capacity to you know inculcate the world with this idea of like racial justice and like you know the anti-vietnam war stuff and you know where did that platform came come from it came from the fact that he is you know 
contestedly, but not really, you know, probably the single greatest boxer of all time, right? When taken yeah. in totality, it's not even a question, right? Or like um, the the 1968 Black Power salute, right? Uh-huh. Um, and stuff like that, right? The um, the Olympics, uh, <clears throat> where I think that was where, um, which was it Owen Jones? I want to say it was Owen Jones. I might be wrong. Uh, no, Jesse. Yeah, where Jesse Owens won four gold medals right in front of Adolf Hitler, and that <laughs> really lit a fire. And he was a black track star, right? Um, and seventeen other African American athletes won won medals and and basically showed up the entire Reich, right? <laughs> like, yeah. There's there's a lot there I think that's worth interrogating and plumbing um, from you know that that speaks to I think something much more broad than just the realm of sport even even now like you saw did you see what happened with the um, with the Chiefs game the other night no where um, players locked arms for a moment of silence uh, to remember you know all the black people killed by police. And in the stadium, the fan, their own fans started booing them. Wow. And it's just, it, it again, like such an expression of, of where we're at right now, right? Yeah, that's, I mean, that, that shit is amazing. Like, what, <laughs> I don't, I don't know what their, what their goal is by booing them. Like, and how you can simultaneously, like, revere someone but also like just think their their opinion is worthless like that you know plantation mentality right yeah. is ultimately what it is it's the it's the woman on fox news telling lebron to shut up and dribble right yeah um which is a thing that happened which is <laughs> still batshit but like even speaking to like you know more i think like anarchistic view of it right like it it the power dynamics of sport are, I think, the one of the greatest articulation of like the the disparity between workers and management. Because like yeah. people are always so quick to say like you know athletes make millions of dollars, whatever, whatever. And and truth is, they don't actually make yeah uh, we, that much. We can yeah. get into that actually. I that that's yeah. one of the few things I looked up. Uh, I I knew you would have a lot to talk about, so I didn't do a ton of research, but um, I did want to get some numbers on um, player income. Um, of course, yeah. So, like for the NFL uh, specifically, uh, the average uh, career length for the NFL is three point three years. Um, the median salary is eight hundred sixty thousand. So, even though they have a lot of the highest paid athletes, those are like outliers. Um, if when you start, uh, most players start or like around five hundred thousand. A year um but then when you uh take that you know three and a, three and a third years of of that amount of money and you like amortize it over the 60 years of working adulthood that you have to cover um the average nfl player is only making forty seven thousand dollars a year this is this is i can even add to this right so uh -huh. the nfl pension plan is considered the worst in professional sports uh -huh. and you're fully vested in the plan after three years and the average nfl pension is forty three thousand dollars um so that's that's a number one b 
a majority of players uh, or a sig- majority, a significant amount of players don't survive uh, more than 10 years out of coming out of the league because of traumatic brain injury. Um, like, like they die? Yes, like oh, CTE. Shit. Yeah, like this is, uh, I think some of the safety standards have been increased since that statistic came out, but there is a significant relationship to players and lasting mental illness or uh, stuff like aneurysm stroke or other, uh, you know, brain related illness, a propensity towards um, addiction and stuff like that, right? Um, this is why football? I like, I, I could never get into football for mostly that reason. <laughs> like, I would just feel so guilty watching it. Um, it's a cruel sport. It's yeah. it's one of the most it's one of the most powerful sports from the perspective of like a narrative, which is why I like it. Um, but like I I will not even hide for a second the fact that it is one of the ugliest is the ugliest sport in America, right? Like without yeah. a doubt, it's by far the most popular though. Um, I yes. saw I saw an article that was talking about this Gallup poll uh, that said. 37% of adults list football as their favorite sport. Uh, basketball was 11%. And baseball was only 9%. Um, baseball has a whole other In that other same poll, they found which, that yeah. uh, 57% of Americans uh, list anime as their favorite, which is... Uh, that was surprising <laughs> to me. <laughs> Everyone loves Naruto, man. Um, <laughs> the thing with football, too, and I think this is uh, applicable to all sports, uh, but particularly football and basketball, is... A, um, you scale up how much money the players are making as a comparative with how much the uh, owners are making, uh-huh. and you'll see it's just a re- it's really just a reflection of like typical worker management relationships, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're still making a fraction of what your boss is making off the surplus value of your labor. Like it's not right. even a fucking question uh, question there, right? Like the fact that you can build, like if if you get the chance, look up the fucking stadium they built in Las Vegas for the Raiders, right? That's opening this year. Um, the fact that they could afford to, to fund this both with public and private money um, is is absolutely batshit. The stadium is like wow. more. I'm pretty sure it's yeah. You you just looked it up, right? It's, it looks like a fucking sci-fi spaceship or something. Yeah, or Rogers Place in Edmonton, actually, where I am. Like, um, uh, right? Like, um, you look at that. It looks like a spaceship landed downtown, right? Yeah. Uh, and this was funded, by the way, with public money. Uh, I fucking hate Daryl Cates and uh, the ownership group of the Edmonton Oilers. Um, wow. Well, uh, yeah, like I was, I was reading about the Falcons Stadium uh, earlier too, and I just looked up the picture of that one. That thing is fucking crazy. Yeah, it's got like a big shutter so, on the top. Look at how these. Yeah, like the the Mercedes Benz Stadium in Vegas actually has like glass panels that open up on the side. Yeah. Um, which is absolutely and they, they got like, like four hundred forty million dollars of government money for that. Yeah, if I remember and right. Like, think about how much, uh, uh, like how much the total salary cap of the Raiders will be. So I, sorry. the Raiders. I, I oh. went to I went to put uh, some lotion on my bee sting, and then like a ton of it just like shot out of the tube. <laughs> oh fuck. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah, I'll come back in in three, two, one. Okay, so yeah, the uh, Raiders' salary cap for this year is 164 million. <laughs> um, <laughs> I want you to consider that relative to the money invested in the stadium, uh, how much money this team makes, how much money the owners make, how much public money was invested into the 
the whole thing. Like, mm-hmm. you know, players are compensated well, but the solution isn't to compensate players less. It's to compensate all the other workers in the organization more, right? Um, and right. take, like, more money from the owners who oftentimes have just uh, are generational owners, right? Like, your kid took over this team or whatever. Like, the DevOps family, you know, famously, Betsy DeVos owns um, the Orlando Magic, right? Oh, geez. Um, and stuff like that. Uh, so, I mean, that's, uh, I think, worth considering sort of more broadly uh, as it relates to to sports but also like this it's also like uh, i think being a sports like a a football team owner is is like the american version of like being knighted basically um if i remember right that was actually like something they they mentioned on billions because um bobby axelrod was trying to become a team owner and the other team owners basically like hate him so they like shut him out of of becoming a team owner yeah, new money, new money in sports is a is a, a big thing, right? Like new money as it relates to um, owning a sports team and stuff like that. Like breaking uh-huh. into this this club is uh, politically very treacherous, right? The yeah. governors get to vote on whether or not you can join the club when you want to buy a team or have an expansion team as well, right? Also worth, like, noting. But I also want you to consider the fact that, like, yeah, players leave the league early, oftentimes the way that college sports is set up, which is, you know, a whole other level of fuckery. Like, if you think professional sports are corrupt, college sports are maybe the most exploitative industry in America. And, yes, I'm including yeah. service work in that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like, like, you consider the fact that... Um, you're basically destroying your body for like something like, you know, five to 10 years. Yeah. Um, and then you have no degree, no real prospects coming out of that. Like you're getting paid basically as back end insurance against everything else. Like you mentioned, but also like you have no financial literacy, right? Uh, coming right. out of this, most players end there up. There was an article that I read that specifically talked about yeah. that. Um, it, they were, they mentioned uh, a couple of basketball players that like, uh, they specifically managed to uh, like invest their money well. Um, Shaq the, being like a notable one, yeah. Yeah, it was like uh, some like seventies and eighties players. It was a pretty old article, but um, one of them, uh, like the the one that managed his money the best, like bought a bunch of Wendy's franchises. Oh yeah, I I like vaguely know who you're talking about because it comes up every once in a while. Uh, yeah, like. A lot of people do invest their money well, but a majority of players end up broke or just living off the pension pretty, pretty quickly, right? Like that's definitely a yeah. byproduct of how, of how these kids are like exploited start to finish, right? Yeah. In this article uh, that I found, the average NFL career length in, uh, it said according to the, uh, according to a paper published by the National Bureau of Economic Research. 78% of players go broke within three years of retirement and 15.7% file for bankruptcy within 12 years of leaving the league. Yeah. So like, you know, when, when, you know, people on the left talk about, you know, sports players being, you know, overpaid, I think it's worth considering it within a broader system of exploitation, right? Things are not nearly as cut and dry. And like, it's a shame that we only ever see, 
um, LeBron as like the face of a franchise, right? When in reality, it's a lot more than that, and it's a lot more in terms of the the player dynamics and the power relationships, you know, happening here and stuff like that. Um, yeah, because there's only a couple. There's only like ten genuine superstars in the league, right? <laughs> like most of these guys don't get paid that much, and what they do get paid, they they fought for with their union, right? Like, yeah, they yeah, they it's fucking weird, like- bargain for this shit. Leftists always love to talk about how their class analysis is so good and class is all just relations to the means of production, but then like they would consider athletes to be like bougie, like if not bourgeois itself, just because they make a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, my my paradigm of like what is considered a worker is um, some some have called it too simple, but I, I disagree. Um, where my paradigm of it is is very simply, can you hi- can you fire people or can you be fired? Right? <laughs> like, yeah. It's it's are you a worker or are you a manager? And I think like you know in regards to like my own understanding of sports and my own understanding of like, left- leftism as someone who worked for a union uh, and still continues to do so for how much longer I don't fucking know. But like um, you know like like that is i think my best understanding uh and like it's worked for me is just you know are you are you a worker or are you a manager can you fire people or are you you know at risk of getting fired yourself right and it's like you really have to consider i think sports on these terms and like even college athletes they're not allowed to take money they're not allowed to mm-hmm. take any of the profit that the NCAA makes if they if they get even like a fucking bottle of wine from someone the NCAA has the potential to destroy their career by banning them right by disciplining aren't them they also like not allowed gifts. to make money off of their likeness in games and stuff too yeah, the NCAA, they sign away their likeness to the NCAA, which then God licenses damn. it out to game companies. So even the cover athletes don't get anything out of it, right? So they like um, literally own your identity. Yeah, for, for the time you play. Um, Jesus. And like, there's been a big thing where NCAA athletes have tried to unionize, and I think they recently won a legal battle that allowed them to unionize. And like... You know, I just want to point out, like, the highest paid public official in, uh, like, 48 states is a coach, right? Uh-huh. Is a, like, more than the governor, more than anyone else, the highest paid public official in most states is a college football coach. Wow. And it's, uh, and it's like, crazy. Um, one second, I'm just going to look this up. Coach, college, football, highest paid public highest paid state employees it's the first thing that happens when you google those terms <laughs> uh yeah the highest paid state employees are earning seven figures and they're all coaches jesus um with the highest being Dabo Swinney and john calipari who both make 9.3 million uh per year on the public dime right the players they coach make zero um god so yeah like these are big money makers for universities and specifically the ncaa which is you know corrupt as fuck um across organizations but you know it's yeah it's it's a whole thing and like the labor relationships within sports because that also extends to like coaches to trainers to the people who actually work for the organization right the analysts Uh all that shit like they're all being taken for a ride right like um when you look at how many people the NBA as a whole like employs and what those people make relative to what the owners make, like it's, 
like even the profit share agreement between teams and the league is like it's still a 51 49 split right like how much of that trickles down to the workers very little of it almost nothing um isn't there uh isn't there something different with uh the the packers aren't they like uh worker owned or something like that they're technically publicly owned, but it's it's bullshit. There's a great Deadspin oh, okay. article about about how it's like more of a, it's more of like a pride thing at this point than actual form of public ownership. Huh. Um, it's like it's like a big fugazi from start to finish. I mean, and there are like, and this is you know we can get into like the racial aspects of it too, but I think that like the Packers represent an ideal for a lot of people of what sports should be, which is why they buy into the public ownership thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not a nationalist at all, uh, but like as a as a like Murray Bookchin loving you know municipalist, there is something really keen about the community that's built around you know my team is the Toronto Raptors, you know ride or die, it's it's the Raptors, right? And, like, there is something really keen about the community that is built around the Raptors and seeing the outpouring of support for the Raptors going on strike, right? Like, saying good things about racial justice and, like, you know, worker, like, the players talking about, you know, the, the narratives that, that, you know, sort of define their lives in terms of exploitation or by being black, right? The Milwaukee Bucks have two players who are beaten by police. Uh, in the last couple of years, like one in wow. a Wendy's parking lot, I believe. And like, obviously this hits close to home. Um, the Raptors fucking uh, GM or the president, sorry, uh, Masai Ujiri, who's like, you know, a dude from Nigeria. He's one of the only black GMs in the league. Um, very cool guy. He might be the, the only good boss in my opinion. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> but like, you know, he, he built up like a, a development program and stuff like that. And he really turned the team around and, you know, really, like, there's this idea of, of sports as, you know, in sports of team culture, right? Mm-hmm. Like, does this team have a winning positive culture or does it not? That means, like, do you treat your players like assets or do you treat them like people? Do you um, build, like, you know, do you build and develop growth in-house or are you always just trading for the next best guy, right? Like, do you have, like, an abusive boss who owner who hangs out with, like, Harvey Weinstein and uh, other, you know, notorious pieces of shit, um, or do you actually have like a, a ownership group that like is hands off and lets the president and the GM like handle team operations, right? Like that's why the Knicks don't win is because their owner is a massive piece of shit who has no <laughs> idea what he's doing and treats his players like shit and tries to save like, you know, scrape pennies everywhere, right? Um, and that's why the Knicks are a losing team. Everyone knows it's Jimmy Dolan who wrote a song for Harvey Weinstein when he found out called you are my friend and i didn't know you did anything wrong and i'm really disappointed like <laughs> that his band, is incredible <clears throat> yeah um who, who wrote a song about like i'm not i i didn't know anything about the weinstein stuff right um but yeah like like masai ujiri uh, during the finals last year when the raptors won the championship he was going he was trying to walk onto the court to celebrate with his team right he got fucking stopped by a cop. Oh, I think I who, saw this video. Yes. Yeah, who then sued him for bodily harm, basically described him as a as a gorilla who was going to kill him, and then they found out after, no, this cop lied. The body cam footage was uh, entirely like this cop being 
abusive to this to this man and like really threatening. Yeah, he was like harm staring and, him yeah. down like before he was even within like twenty feet of him. Yeah, it turned out this cop was actually put on suspension years ago for like I think like fraud. Wow. Um, and still retained his job, by the way, which pays two hundred something thousand dollars uh, for the Orange County Police. Just, Wonderful. Uh, or no, oh, not Orange, Orange County, County, Alameda, oh. Al- Alameda County. Sorry. Okay. Um, in in like the Bay Area, um, and like and like this guy then sued Ujiri for millions, claiming bodily harm and like damages, and um, you know, of course, Ujiri is now countersuing. But I think it's it's a good indication of like, you know, from a racialized perspective, like you can be the most successful <laughs> manager in all of sports, uh, and still like get murdered potentially in front of hundreds of thousands of people on live tv by an overzealous cop right like and like there is something to be said about the way you know toronto um rallied around that right the way and sports fans can be trash i'm not saying they can't but when it when it hits it hits and i genuinely think a majority of, of fans in basketball which is you know the most black sport like the sport that's probably the most even in like a token way keen on racial justice right um, understand the situation those players are in. It's also the most personal sport for a fan because there's no pads. There's no, you're very close to the court, right? You like understand in a far how, more. Human how big is way. the team roster for basketball? <clears throat> um, fifteen active players. Fifteen players can suit okay. up. Okay. Um, that, I think that might be part of the reason um, that the average salaries are so high. Yeah, the average salary is a lot higher. It's uh, for NBA, it's seven point seven million. Yep, they also have seniority, uh, which a lot of leagues don't. Right, so oh, you have okay. a veterans minimum. You come in at seven hundred thirty-eight, but year two you have to go up to a million. Right. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I like, uh, I amortize yeah. that with the uh, average career length, and um, the average NBA player makes half a million a year over their entire like working age. Yeah, which is like, you know, they have a decent pension. You know, they probably have the best, you know, they have the yeah. best pension in professional sports. But like, nice. again, like, you know, you got to consider it as a whole, right? And a lot of these guys, like basketball is in particular quite interesting because it's, you have better odds of ma- of winning the lottery in America than you do of becoming a professional NBA player. Um, and <laughs> right. the, w, the WNBA is a whole other thing, right? They just won a union contract where they tripled their salary Wow. Um, and got like a, a huge base minimum. And like they have so much bargaining power because it's a league that loses money, um, which is actually a good thing for them because no one wants to be the guy who kills the WNBA because it loses money, right? No one wants to be that guy. So they Interesting. know <laughs> the league is already losing money, right? But no one's going to shut it down. <laughs> Uh, so so they can just keep asking for more because it's like what you're gonna lose more money what come come on right like um so i mean like the the wnba is a unique bargaining position they've they've pushed the social justice and like equity messaging and like actually like their superstar their version of lebron james has taken two years off from sports to to support the case of a man who is a uh, black man who was wrongfully convicted of murder, right? Like is currently serving a life sentence, um, which two years is a is might as well be a decade in professional sports. So good for her, right? Um, but yeah, like you know, 
when you when you look at it sort of you know in the context of like racial justice like you know and community and like municipalism like there is so much power within the sports dynamic or the way fans supported the strike and stuff like that um uh and you contrast that with the other fans who don't but like you know there was an outpouring of support you know from both sports uh, a lot of local sports media but funnily enough not national sports media espn kept calling it a boycott right <laughs> Um, whereas like the, the Toronto and Milwaukee, like the local sports writers and stuff were very firm on, on articulating it as a strike. Right. So you think that was on purpose that they called it a boycott? <clears throat> oh, a hundred percent without a doubt. Right. Like you don't want to, you don't want to put the idea of a strike in the heads of millions of people on front page news. Right. Like right. that story took over the media landscape and it's a hundred percent targeted ESPN is owned by Disney where the team is uh, where the bubble is happening. Oh, right? I always forget about that. Like Disney in particular and ESPN largely dictates the conversation around sports in terms of like um, you know, sort of for your average casual fan, right? Uh, uh-huh. Like not everyone's paying 70 years, $70 a year for an athletic subscription or whatever, right? So <clears throat> Like, that should tell you a lot about, like, who dictates narratives around sports and the way that, like, you know, players have the ability to do it on their own now because they're way more, they get more, you know, buzz on social media than they do through major sports channels, right? But the people who are most receptive to to telling the players to shut up and dribble will be watching ESPN. Yeah. Um, Which is worth considering, right? Like, yeah, there's a, like, we can get into the racial stuff now if you want, but, like... Just from the perspective of like labor, I think there's a, a hugely important opportunity here to to acknowledge, you know, the role sports has in our culture. And like, again, I recommend this book to everyone. I recommend two books to everyone. One is called um, The End of Sport, uh, and another one is called uh, The Game Is Not a Game: The Power of Politics and Protests for American Sport. Um, <clears throat> and like, you know, there's a quote from there that that really sticks out to me in terms of. Uh, it's published by Haymarket, by the way. Um, okay. That really sticks out to me in terms of uh, of how it understands sports. And it's like sports is, is both a microcosm of America, but also the space in which power in America is articulated. Um, and like the space in which, which power is defined uh, as it relates to like the broader whole, right? Like you can even extend this to like Europe where there are explicitly fascist and anti-fascist sports leagues right like liverpool uh you know which is my football team for its worth but like liverpool off the back of of liverpool fc organized a boycott of the sun of the of the neocon sun newspaper that lasts to this day you cannot buy the sun in liverpool they just pulled out of that market entirely right that's cool (laughs) um yeah they have a they have a history of like of like act of supporting actual socialism right nice um, and it's like it's like it was like what a lot of the working class community in Liverpool and like like you know left wing left uh, leftist Liverpool um, like uh, organized around was was their shared fandom of of Liverpool FC right like even uh, FC Barcelona and stuff like that around the Catalonia question and a bunch of other stuff and then you have like obviously there's there's the inverse of that which is like explicitly fascist uh, teams from like I don't know the Ukraine and stuff like that um, are also sort of in play and in question, right? Like, and, and those provide a different counterbalance. And like, 
you know, BD, uh, BDS has, has had a huge role in sports where like teams have pulled out of playing in Ireland because, um, because the, the teams in Ireland were like, no, we're not going to invite like a settler colonial country to come play in our, uh, you know, here on, and under public pressure and stuff like that. That's really interesting. Uh, it it kind of sucks that leftists aren't that into sports because it does seem like there's so much, uh, like class stuff to look at. And uh, I yeah, I knew I that there was some of that, but I, you know, I I just don't know a ton about it. Yeah, like in the '60s, Liverpool had like a uh, a uh, manager in in sports is very in soccer is very different right but they had they i forget his name but he was like he was like an out and out fucking uh socialist right he built he built the team identity around this idea of like uh you know sort of uh, a socialist community (laughs) um that supports like you know a left wing and this was back when when the labor party was way better than it is now obviously right Uh um in liverpool coincidentally is a labor stronghold uh i know we're talking about electoralism which sucks but you have to consider it again in the context of political education mm-hmm. <laughs> um but like liverpool is a is a, a labor stronghold and and liverpool fc has a lot to do with that um and this one guy has a lot to do with that as well uh, i'll look up his name actually because i think it's worth looking into him bill shankley that's his name okay um yeah, and, and, you know, even up until now, like, their current manager was saying, like, you know, Liverpool's success is based on our our socialist, our support of a socialist project, right? Um, they have, like, a, they have, like, a, one of the one of the greatest players in the league is, is a Muslim, which obviously leads to a lot of uh, interesting boos from the <laughs> sidelines and shit like I, that, I right? Um, Mo Saleh, he's a fucking incredible guy to watch even if you don't like soccer it's like throwing on a basketball game and seeing like lebron play right like you just yeah you immediately soccer is another sport i can definitely like watch when it's on like watching the world cup with people who are really into it is really fun yeah and and so yeah like you know i i think i'm not saying like you know if if you're listening to this go out and follow every sport right but like (laughs) Look at look at a sport that you've like enjoyed watching casually, and, and like I highly encourage you to just like watch a couple of games, right? And it's nice because mm-hmm. you get a grasp of it really quickly. You start learning the mechanics, and like you start being able to read the game like the way you like almost read Matrix code, right? <laughs> like you 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 start knowing what people are doing uh, other than just watching the ball move, right? And then you like look up the narratives around it, and, like the way the team is like structured, and then the broader context of the league. It becomes a lot of fun. It's like a great way to build solidarity with your coworkers as well. <laughs> um, yeah. Which I think is good because people love sports, right? Like, Yeah, that was something I was going to say earlier. Like, uh, I feel like a lot of people on the left right now are, you know, they're always talking about how we need to be relatable. We need to, like, not turn people away. But then they still do the, like, sports, sports ball, like, oh, they should call it hand egg type of, type of shit. Uh, yeah fuck that it's like and this is it right it's fine if you don't like it but like just be normal (laughs) (laughs) around other people (laughs) i guess yeah and this is the thing i think that's so vital and and i saw a lot of leftists like you know shit on the nba for ending the wildcat strike on such a bad note right but like 
there's a the thing about IWW organizing that always sticks with me, which is like you have to meet people where they are, not where you want them to be, right? right. That means the people you know who like sports who are introduced to working class politics through it, through stuff like mm-hmm. the Wildcat. Um, and that includes understanding where the players are at because most of them are literally children, right? Like most <laughs> of them are in their early 20s. Um, you know, uh, that includes like understanding like what like how much further we have to go and and Uh also knowing that like you know unless you take an active participatory role in that community you you can't go outside of it and be like you know this sucks and the fans suck right because it's it's obviously like it's like any subculture as you know with anime right it's a lot more complex than that right yeah um I think, yeah, no. I, I think anime and sports has comparable levels of reactionary fans. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, but yeah, we can. I, I do want to touch on the racial racial politics of it because that's a yeah, whole other Yeah, do you want to get into the Celtics thing? thing? <clears throat> yeah, the Celtics are really interesting because the Celtics have the most championships of any team, right? Uh-huh. Built off the back of a dude named Bill Russell, who is still alive. Um, I'm just going to see how many consecutive championships Bill Russell won. Uh, 11-time champion, 1959 to 1966, 68, 69, and 57. Um, also a civil rights hero, marched with Martin Luther King, right? Yeah, wow, he's 86. Uh, yeah, he's still alive. He's, uh, he's you know, considered maybe he's in the top five greatest to ever play the game. I think that's, you know, undeniable. Um Bill Russell had a fucking FBI file on him. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> he, had a, he had a huge FBI file on him, and he played and he played in fucking Boston, and he was a civil rights guy, and he marched, I believe he marched in Selma. Um, and, uh, you know, he has the most championships of anyone, any sports league, along with uh, Rocket Richard and the Montreal Canadiens. Um and he is he is considered like you know this this legendary sports icon in terms of social social justice and also like you know demonstrating the beauty of what that sport could be right um on the other hand like boston fans broke into his house shit on the walls and spray painted the n-word over his home right like he wasn't allowed to sleep in the same hotel as the other players um Jesus. Like this is the shit where where you start getting into like the weeds about the way that sports exploits in particular and and this is again why I'm not a class like a class first person. Mm-hmm. Um when it comes to racial justice issues because I think you also have to acknowledge that like everyone's an exploited worker but very specifically black players are more exploited than anyone else right like like there's there's they're both like working class whites and working class blacks are both working class but there's a a specific uh, sort of uh dynamic power that's articulated towards specifically black people opposed as opposed to white people which expresses itself in the form of state violence or you know um significant uh measures that are taken to make sure black people cannot express themselves and i think the use of the word express is key here right Mm -hmm. like it it comes in the way of shut up and dribble but there was a period where the nba banned dunking right because because that was a way that was something that people thought only black people could do and that was a big thing where it's like you know our sports becoming too black to to a big degree that narrative still informs uh both the nba and the nfl right Mm -hmm. um even the, the occasional black player in the National Hockey League, like Sidney Crosby, 
and Don Cherry, who are an infamous sports commentator who was fired for being racist and one of the best players in the NHL. They famously hate P.K. Subban, who's a, who's a black player in the league, right? Even though he plays according to their style and, and what they appreciate in players. At a certain point, you got to ask yourself, like, eh, do they, like, do why do they hate this guy and, and accept, like, what this other, you know, defenseman does? I don't know. I really can't see it. It might be a black and white issue, but I, I'm just not seeing, you know, uh, why they hate him so much. And, of course, the answer is obvious, right? Yeah. Wasn't there something like that with Allen Iverson, too? Like, he was seen as, like, like the more, like, hood player yeah, compared he to was, he was the others put, of his time? He was put on trial. Um, he was arrested for... Oh, fuck, what am I... What was he arrested for? Um, yeah, he was uh, He was arrested for, like, um, assault um, and striking... A, like, yeah, hitting a white woman in the head with a chair. I just looked it up. Um... And it was a complete sham, right? It was a complete sham. Oh, but wow. He was, he was seen as like a thug, and people use that word a lot with basketball, right? Thug. Yeah. Like Bill Bill Simmons is is notorious for this. Bill Simmons, Boston Celtics superfan, one of the most powerful writers in sports, right? Mm-hmm. Is always known for calling white players, in, particularly, in particular singling out white players as like classy, right? That's the word he uses. Um. Not like those hip hop style players. Yeah, not like those thugs, right? Yeah. He doesn't use the word thug, but like very specifically, like you hear him talk about Larry Bird compared to I don't know Magic, and you'll right. see, you'll see the difference in his. And he, I think he's he's been gang shit because he only hires white people at the ringer. But like, um, yeah, like uh, it's also like a way that sports i think from a cultural perspective you i think it's worth understanding that basketball but other sports are a way that um that a segregation and civil rights was was a battleground it was fought in right not just mm-hmm. jackie robinson but like the desegregation of uh of uh college sports right was huge where people were like you had to hide black football players coming into play um games and stuff like that right even if they were at your school and you were a fan of that team like you know people were yelling like i think the president of uh, of Ole miss got up on a stage when when jfk announced he was desegregating and and said we're not going to let any hard r's play in this uh at this school right wow. and stuff like that um and like you know of course like that takes on a more i think subtle uh facet over time so going to relate an anecdote here related to two sports so sports is largely a space where um black people can articulate can create expression right Mm -hmm. like it is a creative pursuit dunking uh specific types of moves specific styles of play you know imitable stuff um, new technique is largely comes out of out of expression that you learn playing it in the neighborhood with your friends it's it's you know why new players are explosive and exciting and interesting and, and why they play you know so differently um and of course like owners don't like that <laughs> you know what i mean yeah and, and that's where you start seeing stuff like banning dunking but also the emergence of analytics into sport has largely been a factor in managing 
uh, in managing um, individual player expression, right? Because now it gives you a reason to stop players from doing these things and gives you a form of, of mathematical, quote-unquote, objective scientific control over the sport, right? And over what these players do and allows you to control how they play, which is a huge, I think, issue that will come to the fore pretty soon because basketball lags behind other sports and analytics. But, like... Uh, you know, ever since analytics started becoming a huge part of baseball, the number of black players in the league has declined sharply. Um, huh. <clears throat> and not only that, but because baseball has no salary cap, all of they're doing huge recruitments out of Central America, where you'll find talented players who are a lot cheaper to give a contract to because they'll take a lot less, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're leaving. If you're leaving the Honduras, not you know, obviously, like you know, America, where even if you're on the low end of, of wages, you're still making more than someone in Central America, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, and stuff like that, right? Where you're looking at how you can best gentrify and exploit the sport through something that people take at face value as being an objective measure of, of scientific, you know, of scientific information, i.e. analytics. And so there's this whole other side to sports that people get really into, which is the analytical side, which I think is is so worth examining right because it's a form of 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 it's it's a way that people like attack the sport in a way like especially power articulates itself in terms of like making sure that even though players are superstars that that we're able to mathematically give them a reason to not be or to not express themselves or to play in a way that is like palatable to us right so i don't i don't know a lot about the analytics thing like can you describe like the the basics of it? Is it that they have created some statistics that they like rate players on, and that like affects their their pay or something like that? Not just an- not just analytics, right? Like not just sorry, not just player ratings because those uh-huh. are those have been around forever. Like where you look at a score sheet and you're like, oh, they scored thirty baskets, they got two assists, they got you know eight rebounds, uh-huh. and they're plus. Their plus minus when they were on the floor was plus 16 or negative 13, right? But you're looking at it from a possession perspective where you're like, so in basketball, for example, you can score from really you can score from three positions on the court, right? You can score from very close to the basket. You can score from mid range or you can score from a three, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, you know, someone looked at it and said, oh, the, the middle position, the long two, is the most inefficient position, right? Um, because okay. you're you have a less of a chance to hit the basket, but you're not getting the extra point. So you know basketball right now, as a result of of this point of analytic data, is now is now played through either you're really close to the basket or you're shooting from beyond the arc, baby. You know what I mean? Like no one's taking mid range <laughs> shots anymore. You know it's a dying. It's considered a dying craft. And like Daryl Morey, who's the GM of the Houston Rockets is huge on analytics right where he's like created the system of of um that's called small ball which is like how do we statistically get players who are shooters without much athleticism in terms of like their physicality and size to like make sure that we get the most possessions and the highest mathematical chance of shooting within the system right of getting baskets Mm -hmm. in the system he breaks it down he doesn't even break it down by points he breaks it down by possessions right 
every 16 okay. for every 16 possessions we need to have x amount of points um and the best way to achieve that is to play this specific these specific plays or this specific system because they're like a computer has basically spit out the data that it is uh, X times more likely to succeed. It's worth noting that Daryl Morey hasn't won a championship. Um, <laughs> and neither neither is Mike D'Antoni, who's the coach of that team, who is a very good coach. You know, undeniably, he's a, he's a very interesting guy. There's a great book on him called uh, Seven Seconds or Less about his time with the Phoenix Suns. But um, yeah, so it's stuff like that, right? Where you're basically forcing people into the system and basically being like, this is a system you need to win. Not the system where you have fun, play, express yourself, you know, be the person who got you this far in the first place but mm. but mathematically win games right and then you can then track that onto player data right how much you pay players like andre drummond for example um he puts up great stat lines right but now this is idea and andre drummond drummond is a piece of shit by the way like i fucking hate him but um everyone says like yeah stat line is great but when you go into the analytics he just gives you empty numbers like that stat line doesn't matter because his team mathematically does not win at these points when he's on the floor, even though he's putting up these numbers, right? <laughs> um, and that's going to be used as an excuse to pay him more or less when his contract expi- expires, right? And you can mathematically look at any player and basically find a reason to pay them less based on their plus minus and like win percentages and analytic data you have about them. <clears throat> Maybe it's all just a front for... Uh you know, collecting data so that they can uh, sell ads. Yeah, I mean, like, the ads are a big part of it, too. I'm sure that someone's someone's doing that as well, <laughs> right? Um, and stuff like Based that. Based on how yeah, many possessions like, you have, we thought you would like uh, this cream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, would you would you like to buy Hubie, a Hubie Brown DVD of how to perfect your, your jump shot, right? Like... Uh, uh, it's like NBA 2K, where like you can buy where the game recommends you like stat upgrades that you can buy with real money based on your player score in the game. <laughs> um, but then you leave the videos on too long, and you end up in a you know fascist ideology video. You end up in a in a video where like um, where like you know it's it's telling you why black people should leave the league and only be replaced by nerds who who can do jump shots well right (laughs) and yeah like that's that really is like i think something worth worth considering with sports is like the way analytic data has ruined it because like baseball was such a a foundational place for for black people entering you know why like you know broader society in terms of like jackie robinson right Uh um but black people are no longer in the league. Like they, they are yeah. dec- a declining, they are a declining group within that league. Um, and like basketball is very different because basketball, and this is the other thing, by the way, going back to the first thing we talked about, which is economics, your odds of making it into the league are lower than your odds of winning the lottery. And mm-hmm. basketball kind of has two streams for entry, right? One is like you were crafted in the lab to play basketball, right? Where you go to private basketball high schools and middle schools and private basketball like training camps and then go to college at a number one ranked team and you're just expected your entire life to be a number one draft pick, right? That's what Zion Williams and LeBron James both did, by the way. And LeBron came from a difficult upbringing, but someone someone invested that money into him very early on because they saw his potential as like a a tall athletic kid when he was a a child right interesting uh but 
also, like, on the other hand of it, you have people who come from incredibly dispossessed communities, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and for a lot of people, like, Hoop Dreams, the documentary talks about this a lot. Um, there's also another great one by the guys who made uh, Uncut Gems, a documentary called Lenny Cook about uh, a player who who opted, you know, not to graduate high school to enter the draft, and it actually changed the way that drafting happens because he was such a draft bust and his life ended so poorly that the NBA oh, is wow. like, no, you need to you need to finish high school and do a year um, before you can enter the league because of this. Yeah, he came right out of high school. Um, and now the NBA is like, no, you need to do a year, right? Before you can get drafted. Either at a college or somewhere else, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because of the, how bad this guy's life went. But yeah, like you look at what a lot of people who who enter the league you know what the first thing they usually do is is like buy their mom a house right right yeah like you also need to consider the economics of this from the perspective of of a large number of players who came from from pretty uh you know rough economic backgrounds and stuff like that and like consider like okay you're you're now not just supporting yourself but you're also supporting a community you've grown up in a world um you know of capitalism that demands you know sort of symbols of material wealth over everything else right um and no one's ever taught you about taxes for a million dollars because it was never expected you'd make that much right right (coughs) so you know you buy your mom a fucking house you buy yourself a car you buy yourself a condo you're left with very little at the end of your first year right Mm -hmm. and then your second year comes and you make a little more and and you know now the rest of your family who you know understandably comes from a similar economic position because of historical racism uh and you know colonialism um and capital exploitation is now knocking at your door and you're not going to let those guys go right because why mm-hmm. did you want to come here in the first place to like make sure you and your own could be all right right it's yeah. like you know and and so many people so many parents ride on this because you know you believe in your kids yeah but like it seems more feasible than being able to break out of capitalism by traditional means, right? Like you really yeah. can't blame people for for putting you know their heart and soul into their kids and like when they're you know a little athletic and wanting them to go to the league because it's like what you think we're going to be able to get it? You think a degree will get us out of this mess? <laughs> I mean, right? <laughs> like obviously it won't. And, like, yeah, I mean, you can apply this to, to, and we're just talking about American sports, right? But, like, obviously hockey in Canada, but, like, you know, cricket in India, right? And the way mm-hmm. that articulates the the rivalry, and not just rivalry, but the hostility between India and Pakistan, right, is a huge thing. Uh, basketball's China problem, where China is emergent basketball as a dominant sport, but China also sucks, right? Like, <laughs> um and like the way that's like factored in, factored into the fact that the league needs to make money, or even like Masai Ujiri, GM of the Toronto Raptors, has opened up a training camp in Africa, right? Um, called Giants of Africa, and like you know hmm. he's doing it with good intentions. I'm not. I'm actually not going to. Um, I'm actually not going to like denigrate him too much for this. But you also sort of have to get like one of Toronto's key players was going to go to seminary school, got recruited into one of these training camps in Cameroon and is now making $30 million a year, right? Like, uh-huh. like take that, that analogy I just gave you of, like, you know, lower-income neighborhoods or historically dispossessed neighborhoods and now apply it to entire countries, right? Like, yeah. 
what does that do to to like entire nations when it when you open up this sort of sports market and the money of sports and also the potential to make money from sports to that right it I uh, you know I know I'm I'm rambling at this point but like it, I, you really do have to think about these things in the context of like sports is an articulation of all the power in the world and that is colonial power right down to like you know the basis of like worker um, owner exploitation right mm-hmm. yeah I think I think we should do another episode about this and get into some of the other stuff like um i i would like to look at boxing a little closer um, boxing is a huge one yeah because i know there's the a lot of class stuff sport, there yeah. as well and wrestling by the way like like oh yeah you know professional wrestling entertainment wrestling yeah like i i am a huge like sports nut even if i don't follow the sport itself like uh-huh. if, you know i will say football boxing like i love boxing but like wwe i know more about behind the scenes than who won fucking SummerSlam last year right <laughs> like, the narratives are always the most interesting part it's like a big soap opera. it's like a soap opera for the fellas right like that's right. all sports is yeah not saying women don't follow sports but you know it's it's a masculine it's largely and wrongfully a masculine enterprise right yeah um well do you have anything else uh that you wanted to get into uh i know how about you i i'm i'm good for whatever um i didn't i didn't look at a ton of stuff i found this article like if we ever got stuck to look at but um i'm not gonna try and like read it for we, we already have like an hour and 15 so Okay, um, well, yeah, if you want to do another episode in a couple of weeks on, on you know, sort of more martial sports and stuff like sure. that, I'd be extremely down. I know I, like, I definitely went off on this episode, so I'm sorry yeah. about that. But Oh, no, it's great. I, oh, okay. I, th- that's what I was hoping for. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I, I, we, I, we could tie it in. We, we could tie it into Hajime no Ippo, uh, oh, the next yeah. one. I think we could talk a little bit about sports fandom in in a pandemic, which I think, or in in our current moment, which I think is really interesting. Okay. If if you want to, or we can save that for next episode. Um, let's get into it now. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Um, do you want me to lead it or? Uh, yeah. You can. I I will say real uh, quick. Uh, with the with the bubble thing, I didn't I didn't know that's what uh what that was, but I. I like really expected Hollywood to start doing stuff like that. They are. Um, okay. There's new protocols. Like I've uh, a friend of mine who has been super involved with developing bubble protocols for uh, film sets and stuff like that. Um, it's, it's a lot better than what's happening in sports, but mm-hmm. it's still like extremely dicey. Cause you're working as someone who works in the film industry, you're working extremely close quarters and stuff like that. Right. Uh-huh. Like it's, impossible to avoid each other um and like i'm curious how big crowd scenes will be done from now on and shit like that right probably composite with like cgi people or something <laughs> yeah i mean it's gonna it just signals the death of independent cinema is like what covid does right because yeah. like, you can't afford the cgi crowd if you're making a movie for three mil right absolutely success i'm really disappointed like how it's fucked up the film industry not yeah. not not hollywood but like you know 
my company is still pretty small, right? We we got some big deals recently, and I'm very proud of that. But I'm like, it it's it's looking insurmountable at this point in terms of like where we're gonna go. And I know it's it's my pessimism because we are getting money, which means someone knows it's going to work out. <laughs> but yeah, like it it fucking sucks. Uh, so what what's the deal with sports fandom and COVID? Um, I think it's it's really interesting to look at sports fandom in COVID right now, or not just COVID, but like in our space of absolute annihilation. You uh-huh. know what I mean, like forest fires, protests, Portland, like COVID nineteen. Uh, you know, as like you know, sort of neolib as Donald Trump and as existential as like fascism is going to win and we're all going to burn up and die. Right. Uh huh. Um, I do appreciate the way because like. On one hand, you know, the other thing leftists are quick to do is say bread and circuses, right? Yeah. Uh, these are people, These are people, by the way, who think that arguing with other leftists online is organizing, is praxis, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, like day in, day out and shit like that. And it's like, and, and sincerely, like really throwing themselves into it and shit like that. And it's like, you know, that's, that's also a form of bread and circuses, by the way. <laughs> uh, yes. That's a way that, that capitalism runs interference for our own abil- inability to do stuff. But, like, on the other hand, I will say it is, like, I've never been more, I've been a fan of this team since I was a kid, and I've never been more invested uh, in uh, sports as I have been these last couple of months. And, like, I fucking cried when the Raptors lost last night. I'm not ashamed to admit it, right? Because it's like... <laughs> it really does give you something to to like invest into right where it's like everyone and everything is losing but these guys right are they're gonna win it they're gonna take it home they're going to have these moments that no one else is allowed to have or can have um or or is actively being denied from having right and i think that's also feeds a lot of the reactionary discourse right around um fandom where it's like you know, I as a as you know an anarchist, uh, I'm looking at it from perspective of like, man, these guys have the opportunity and the space to say whatever they want and and the opportunity to win, right? Mm-hmm. But like, someone who's on the far other side of me is like, I came here to just fucking watch a game, man. <laughs> like, I came out yeah. here to not just escape like the world, but but to escape the like recursive loop of like Fox News bullshit, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> like. Or QAnon bullshit, right? Like, yeah. you, you came to the game to, like, somehow not think about that. And I think that's worth considering. Like, I'm not saying horseshoe theory is real, but this is why sports is such a good space to, like, organize in. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Um, well, the <laughs> the main thing I was thinking about uh, when you mentioned that was, was the uh, really reactionary people that say the same kind of thing about like rage against the machine they're like i yes. i came to to hear music not politics um it's just uh, it's so it's such an interesting mentality like i know it's super common like people um really think that like politics is like this separate thing that isn't like infused with everything that people do like anytime you have more than one person <laughs> there's politics <laughs> Um, and yeah, it's just, I don't know. Like I, I always find the political aspects of stuff, uh, adds to how interesting it is. Um, so it's, it's weird to me 
to to see it as like pure escapism like i can i understand like it being a form of escapism in general of like you know i don't want to listen to QAnon shit all all fucking day long um but like not having any politics in it is like completely alien to me like especially if it's you know a league dominated by black men to for them to like not have anything to say about what's happening in in the country right now like oh a hundred percent i don't know how how anyone could think that would possibly work you know (laughs) well i mean you live day in and day out with this like weird anxiety around like you know jeffrey epstein shit which is you know to be fair it's probably true right but like Uh you take it to this whole or q right it's like no for one minute you're just expecting to not have this anxiety and it's like dude you should like why would you expect these people to just like be uh, a traveling circus for you right yeah like, they're human beings with their own thoughts and feelings i think that sports can be um and largely is for many people especially in in soccer um and and for me you know and a lot of other leftist basketball sports fans right like it is an extension of their politics uh-huh. like you follow a team because it's got like the culture you like right or you follow mm-hmm. a team because or you start following a team because the players say the right things or you've got this like historical attachment to the team but like you want them to be better in terms of like the way that they treat their workers and like the way that they treat their players or like you know in liverpool like it is like you know every socialist I know almost every socialist I know is a Liverpool fan, right? Like (laughs) very specifically, there's also like, you know, there's also like anarchist, you know, soccer teams and there's like a whole, a whole fucking history of, of, of like, you know, politically active and politically motivated, you know, soccer. Right. Uh Um, and like, you know, especially like you look at Ayrton Senna, right. And F1 and Senna was like the, the shining example of like the post dictatorship years in in brazil right like that was was it yeah it was brazil um and uh and like you know what he meant for a country in terms of like oh no senna is the the emblem of like is the the ultimate emblem of like our capacity to to challenge like dictatorships and power right he mm-hmm. is the thing that like will unify us after the fact in terms of representing the best brazil has to offer right like um even like you know post-apartheid south africa like that rugby game against uh, new zealand you know where where south africa fucking won somehow right against <laughs> the most indomitable fucking uh, rugby team ever right was like you know they called mandela they called mandela like the last person on that team and like mandela sucks don't get me wrong like he i think there needs to be a reassessment of his legacy but like also again meeting people where they're at like yeah oh that that rugby team was the ultimate summation for a lot of people uh who had historically you know been like black people didn't give a fuck about rugby in south africa right because it was a yeah. white man sport but like uh-huh. you know the black player on that team and and mandela coming out and like saying no this is what we this team is representative of everything i've tried to achieve meant a lot right it, it mm-hmm. ended up being like a summary and like an acknowledgement that we are we are as a country moving on from apartheid and obviously that hasn't been the case but like it, it certainly fueled that conversation for a long time right off like completely divested from sports 
That's really interesting. I didn't know, I didn't know that uh, rugby aspect of uh, the apartheid politics. It's it's very worth looking into. Like this is this is it. You you just look up sports in any country, uh-huh. um, and you'll find like a rich history of like how it relates to its political culture. Right? Even Japan. I know you're you know you're a big fan of anime, like uh-huh. Japanese baseball and stuff like that. Has a, yeah. has a very interesting history that I'm not super well versed in, but like. When I was in Japan talking to, you know, anarchists there and stuff like that, they were they were talking a lot in baseball and I wish I understood more of it. <laughs> <laughs> there was a really great um Samurai Champloo episode where um, yeah. some Americans arrive in Japan and uh the main characters like play a baseball game against them to like basically tell them to fuck off. <laughs> it's great. Oh hell yeah. You you genuinely my favorite love episode to of that show. <laughs> um, there's a great documentary I'm going to recommend. Uh, okay, I was right. It's called The Eagle Huntress. It's it's like a Disney-ish documentary, but it's really interesting. Um, okay. About like the first female eagle huntress uh, champion in Mongolian sports because all of their sports uh, are are based in historical like hunting and and war practice, right? Huh. Like uh, tribal conflict, and it's about this girl who's raised by her dad, like this very young girl who's raised by her dad to be an eagle huntress, right? Which is typically a patriarchal notion. And then she shows up. It's a fucking documentary, which is wild. Like she shows up at like the uh, Mongolia's version of like the Olympic games. Right. And fucking Mm -hmm. wins. (laughs) That's cool. In front of these, in front of these like 60 year old dudes have been doing this their entire life. Right. It's like, (laughs) Oh, this is, this is really interesting because it's it's one of the ways that like you know the the patriarchy is being challenged and reformed in mongolia through sport because like this turned heads everywhere in that country right like no one ever even thought this was possible let alone something that someone would excel at or like the first female driver in nascar right that was fucking buck wild um and every time she lost you know i mean it's like see this is why women can't race cars yeah like it's definitely yeah you look at you look at any of these and, and it, it'll reveal itself to you right like i'm a big proponent of of people should just pick a sport that they you know casually like and just even just casually get into it right watch a game here and there watch the playoffs casually follow it um it'll i think it gives people a lot and it also leftists are not well-rounded people <laughs> i'm just gonna <laughs> say that right now it's true all we do is watch anime yeah, I mean, like, anime Anime gives you more of a personality than, like, 90% of the people on Twitter, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like it really, it genuinely does. Yeah. I think I think sports, anime, and, and pol- the politics of sports is going to be, like, my gateway into actually choosing to watch sports. I, I highly recommend The Game Is Not A Game. It's a very easy read, and it, it fucking uh-huh. rules, man. Like, it's such a good it's such a good book that'll be like... It'll give you pause and be like... Like, I finished it in two days. Like, it'll give you pause and you'll be like, oh, this is what makes sports interesting, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's very, very good. And, like, you know, he goes into stuff that we haven't even touched on, right? Don't have the time to... Like, the Michael Jordan thing, the... You know, Republicans buy sneakers to the, you know, politically uh, absent, you know, superstar and what that means and like the material culture of it. Like there's again, like it is a, a 
massive thing to just like break open and talk about. Like I could do this for fucking months. You know what I mean? <laughs> <clears throat> oh yeah, I actually uh, bought my first piece of sports merch recently. Oh um, hell yeah! What was it? It's a uh, it's a shirt, and it's the Washington football team shirt, which I wanted because. I think that's a really funny name for the for the fucking team. Just calling it Washington Football Team. Um, we have the Edmonton. So it's we have sort of Edmonton ironic, but also right now. Oh, say, say again. We have the Edmonton Football Team right now for the oh, same really? reasons. Yeah, the Edmonton Eskimos <laughs> finally gave up their fucking name. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, it's like a local team for me too. So you know, I can wear it unironically, but I also like mainly got it ironically because I just think that's. Washington. It's funny that they couldn't come up with a new name like quickly enough to make merch for it, and just had to do like football team. <laughs> it's it's really funny because Edmonton Eskimos changed their name to the Edmonton uh, football team, but first they lost the name and they didn't announce a new name. And someone saw some got some got to digging and saw that they had copyrighted the name Edmonton Empire three years ago in event in the event that this would happen, <laughs> and it's just like. The backlash, the immediate backlash from people being like, you're going to change the name from Eskimo to fucking Empire. <laughs> um, <laughs> they just they just did Edmonton football team, <laughs> which I think is really fucking funny. I, I also think it's super interesting that uh, they managed to get the name uh, changed from the Bullets to the Wizards like decades ago. <laughs> Um, oh yeah but they can't they can't change the racist indian name you know yeah it's because bullets bullets made people think of like the black players and you know again it's that it's that thug stuff right that you Uh don't want to be associated with one of the reasons i fucking love the raptors is because that name was picked in the same year jurassic park came out like it it oh nice (laughs) was just because jurassic park was popular um You know that that this name. I mean, people claim to have voted on it. Whatever, whatever. Bullshit. It was it was a hundred percent because Jurassic Park was the biggest movie of that decade, and the Raptors were like, yeah, I guess we're the Raptors now, right? Like no relation to Toronto, nothing to do with the city. You had an expansion team, and you you picked this name because it it would give you some buzz because people like dinosaurs, right? It's like what a great fucking name, the Toronto Barneys. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I hope they. Uh... <laughs> I hope the Washington team name changes like right as the Demon Slayer movie comes out so they can be like the Washington Demon Slayers or something like that. <laughs> oh, fuck. Yeah, that would be awesome. But, you know, it's going to be like the Washington avatars or something like that. Yeah. You know, it's going to be something so much worse, right? Yeah. The Washington tenets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's going to be like some founding fathers bullshit, you know? Oh, yeah. Like the... Uh... I was gonna say the Washington Washingtons, but I guess that doesn't work. But you <laughs> that know. would be awesome. I would love yeah, that. The, <laughs> the Potomac's or the monuments or something like that, right? Yeah. Um, I it's hey, what about the Washington I mean, Generals? <laughs> the Washington Generals are a team. I know. I was, okay. Okay. I, I was like, damn. I do know they that always much. Lose too. <laughs> they they always lose. I think they won once <laughs> ever, which is great. Um. Yeah, like like that part is so fucking funny to me. Like, wash a Washington is a joke of a franchise, but like, um, they it, the fact that they're called the Wizards and the other East Coast team is called the Magic is really funny to me. 
That is funny. Like nothing, yeah. nothing <laughs> to do with even the LA Lakers. When you really think about it, is a hilarious team name. Um, because they used to be the Minnesota Lakers, which actually makes sense. Right? Uh-huh. Um, but then they moved from Minnesota to LA, which has uh, you know, famously zero lakes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you you genuinely love to see it. The LA Dams. <laughs> Oh, I would love, I would love that the LA, the LA wildfire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. The LA tech rent. <laughs> yeah. The the LA pizzas. You know what I mean? Just give it. <laughs> just fucking go full mask off with it or something like that. Yeah. It's it's funny to track. It's funny to track the way that teams move. Like you know, the Vancouver Grizzlies becoming the Memphis Grizzlies, which yeah again make no sense like i like teams that are i like names that are somewhat related to where they're from like the uh the detroit pistons is a great name for a for a team right or the red yeah. wings for that for that matter um stuff like that is is really cool you know the montreal canadians uh really interesting like history with like you know the the fact that quebec historically has wanted to secede from canada Right, uh, which is which is like uh, it was supposed to be a point of unity, if I recall correctly. But like you know, a lot of people in Quebec call them the Habs or the Habitants, right? Which is considered uh-huh. the more secular, non-Canadian, like more proudly Quebec name for it and stuff like that. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Team names are a whole other piece of bullshit. But I'm happy you bought the <laughs> uh, the uh, you know football team, uh, Washington football team. Uh, you know merch because that it really is like a piece of history that's really funny yes. i know they're not they're not going to win the super bowl but it would be awesome if if washington football team like the no-name brand <laughs> football team won won a super great bowl, value right? <laughs> yeah the in, have you seen canada's no-name brand um i think i've heard of it okay if you google if you google canada no-name and google images you'll uh-huh. see it and it's like it's like the that of um Oh yeah, yeah, I've seen this. It's Somebody like the posted a tweet about it a while ago. Okay, yeah, the no name brand of uh, of of football teams, right? Yeah, this is like the conservative imagination of what communism looks like. Which it's so funny because this is the most ubiquitous thing in Canada. It's also considered like the great value brand of of uh-huh. our you know weird uh, of our weird Epstein related superstore and its owner, right? But like. Mm-hmm. Um, but like it is like very iconic and very funny, and I would love to see this like naming convention stay with the Washington Football Team because names yeah. can be funny, right? Uh-huh. Like the L.A. Lakers is a funny fucking name. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I mean, like it is like the the most deeply ironic thing people do not consider ironic. Um, well, I don't I don't have anything else. Um, I think we can wrap yeah. it up here. I've uh, I've gone off enough. I will I will cease. I'll retreat. I'll let you, to I'll N- let you get NBA back to uh, Crusader Kings. <laughs> yeah, either Crusader Kings or Two K. That's my plan after this. It depends on how how long I'm at this computer for. <laughs> well, Abdul, uh, thank you so much for coming on and uh, educating us on the political economy of sports. I think everyone's <laughs> gonna you. like this episode. Um, I, I really hope so. Yeah. Hopefully everyone uh, gets into a sport after this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give uh, basketball another chance. I'm gonna see if I can, I can watch a basketball game. Um, I mean, I'm, sh- the, it's done now, right? So I have to wait a while. But you know, uh, I mean, it's not done. The Raptors are done, but the playoffs, okay. like playoff, playoff basketball. Even if you don't pick a team, is a lot of fun to watch because yeah. it's, 
it's people playing at the highest level of the sport, right? Like, right. Um, in the in the Kino Discord, uh, I'm streaming uh, very legally because everyone has an ESPN subscription uh, that we collectively <laughs> watch together. Um, all the Miami Heat games and then all the finals games. Like I've I've specifically blocked that time off, and we've got like a small community of people who who watch uh, the games together. Uh, we all, like I got a bunch of people who weren't Raptors fans or basketball fans at all. Like you know, I've got someone in the in the Kino Discord uh, podcast I'm famously not a part of anymore. Um, <laughs> Uh, in the Kino Discord, like who are who are shooting messages about like, damn, they need to get Siaka more into the pick and roll, and who are they going to fucking retain for next season now that their <laughs> contracts are expiring? I'm like, people get it, right? Like, there's that you are fans of shitty teams because like, with 0.5 seconds left on the clock, the most unlikely player threads the most unlikely pass to someone who knocks off a three. And somehow wins the game, right? That's what happened this fucking Toronto series. And you're like, even if we lose, you know, you have that moment to hang on to forever. You know what I mean? Like, that moment made you feel like it. it is like, you know, what you're watching is the pinnacle of, of human athletics, right? Like, uh-huh. of, of what you can do with, with just, like, a person who's conditioned, you know, perfectly to do something so well. And stuff like that. So yeah, like I, I highly recommend it if you uh, if you want to drop in. We're we're hoping the Heat uh, murders the fucking Celtics um, <laughs> uh, on Tuesday, uh, and for the next three games after that. So I will check that out. Um, I, I also might get into F one because uh, my my cousin has gotten into it, and uh, Brett from Street Fight also is is really into it. And he posted a video uh, from an F one race. And I was like, holy shit, that looks fucking cool. <laughs> They're going so fast. <laughs> yeah, Evan's huge into F1. And, like, by the way, they their big champion uh, for many years running has been a black dude. And I think it's nice. the first time who's won the who's gotten, you know, this far in the sport, which has led to, like, really interesting conversations, right? But, uh, uh-huh. yeah, I will say the F1 is great. I follow it casually, but it's a lot of fun. There's a great Netflix series called F1 Drive to Survive that Yeah. My cousin told me about that. It? She she recommended yeah. that. Yeah. Um I still have to watch it. The games are so fucking hard to catch because it's all over the world. So there's some days where you crawl out of bed at like three AM to watch the fucking race, right? But like it's worth it. It's fucking awesome. I'm sure I could find it on RBG or something. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Uh all right. Uh do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, I don't have a podcast, though. Speaking of sports, I have a I have a conversation tomorrow with a, with an old friend to maybe look at like a, starting a pl- politics and sports podcast because nice. there's only a couple of them, and I think we can do it pretty well. But that might happen. Um, <clears throat> you can follow me on Twitter at Socialist Raptor. You can check out my old podcast uh, at Kino Lefter, but I should stop plugging that at this point. Um, <laughs> Uh, you can follow my writing. I am a writer. Uh, I, you know, technically I'm a professional screenwriter, which is still like weird to say out loud, but I have lots of articles written, uh, a lot of journalism stuff. Uh, my first studio feature film that I wrote is coming to either theaters or a streaming service near you, um, likely early next year, early mid next year. Um, and, What's it uh, called? Yeah, I have 
Uh, it's called Peace by Chocolate. It's uh, funded by Telefilm Canada. It's a very liberal refugee feel-good story. Um, nice. Uh, it's When that comes out, I'd love to come on and talk to you about what it's like being like a, a socialist filmmaker who writes a, a fairly neo-lib story. Um, that would be really interesting, yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, but it is like, you know, it's the beginning of my career and like, you know, it was a lot of fun to write and I'm still proud of it, even though it's like not a movie I would ever watch, but like my dad would love it. <laughs> you know what I mean, like... <laughs> Um, and I think meeting people where they are, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like, I have, um, I have some TV stuff in the works. I'm not allowed to talk about yet. But if you follow okay. me on Twitter, you'll there is something like potentially unprecedented in terms of like politics and what someone is allowing us to put on TV. Nice. Um, that would be like a fucking world first. And I'm, I'm just at this point, I'm just like anxiously awaiting the fucking press release to come out. Oh, and we just. My company just signed um, uh, Emmy Award-nominated Rain Valdez uh, and her amazing script about, you know, uh, a trans cheerleader in Guam uh, Damn. As, a, as a production company for it. Yeah, so so keep your eyes peeled for that. It's called Relive. It's one of the best scripts I've ever read, and I'm the director of development, you know, on the project and Faye Pictures as a whole, so uh, please keep your eyes peeled. It's going to be a lot of fun. Awesome. Thanks a lot for coming yeah. on. Thank you. Um, And thanks, everyone, for listening. Bye. Bye.